You know, that reminds me of there's a famous picture out there. You talk about things being done differently. The very first Super Bowl, Len Dawson, the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs, sitting on the sideline, got a fresco, I think, in one hand and a cigarette. No, I, I don't know if it's a fresco or a beer, but something in one <laughs> hand and a cigarette in the other. This is, you know, yeah. <laughs> during yeah. the game. Yeah. You know? yeah. That, well, uh, yeah. During, and, you know, of course, everybody, now you're not allowed to show it. Mickey Mantle and those guys in the locker room, you know, with a cigarette and a beer or a cigarette and a cocktail with with their uniforms on, you know. But yeah. it's all brand new. Well, let's do this now. Let's let's talk about this because we want to get in. You got a couple neat cases that we want to talk about. So before we do that, let's kind of set the stage. So cases, I want to mention heroin, but what we have to do before we get to heroin, we have to figure how the hell did you get out of the AFU, the AFU, the Asset Forfeiture Unit, and get to doing some real police work? Well, after doing the the tour every afternoon and um, and helping out, and um, like I had mentioned before, this one man who was a real nice man, on one of my first or second times covering a meeting. Um, Again, I don't have any real background in this. It's clear to me because I'm listening and nobody else is. Um, he's pretty drunk inside a bar with a bad guy and the informant. And uh, I hear the other agents on surveillance starting to, to say, remember, I have no background on this, but I'm picking up just through osmosis. What the hell is Jack fucking doing it again? All right. How long are we going to be here? This is getting out of control. All right. And they would I say, what's the kid say? I can. What's the kid say? That's me. You know, and I'm telling him, well, he's still talking to like this bad guy. And, you know, um, is he drinking? And I'm like, oh, I, I think so. But, you know, uh, and it's audio, not video. Yeah. 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 And and about seriously, about an hour and a half later, out walks the 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 agent, the undercover agent with the the informant. You know, he's draped. You know, the informant's literally carrying him to the informant's car. Bad guy says hello. They walk off and say goodbye. And and that was one of my first uh, sort of like realized, you know, look, this, uh, it's like that saying, this isn't Kansas, Dorothy, you know. And uh, and again, I'm not, I, I look, I mentioned this because we're keeping it real. It, it, it was an issue. And, you know, we're, we're not going to go there because we could talk about a lot there. Uh, and, and I'm glad that a lot of that has been uh, improved, but a lot of our elder uh, mentors they 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 didn't have a good background with that. They drank a lot. They weren't healthy, and some of them probably died uh, prematurely because of it. You know, they weren't. I don't know what you what you remember, guys. From sure, it was just uh, different times. It was. It was. I just when I got on the police department, uh, our chief of police was a Marine formerly on active duty. We couldn't we could not go to bars. We could not have mustaches. Wow! Uh, and then when hmm. I got on the state patrol, they same thing. I only had the in our class. Nineteen eighty four was only the third female ever in the at that time fifty year history. It's now over seventy five history of the Ohio Patrol. So I'm, yeah, but it, you know people want to talk about stuff. But to your point, it was a different time. Things evolve. If we'd done things the way they've always done it, we'd still be wearing wool uniforms, you know, on the state patrol and stuff, uh, you know. I, you know, I got to say, I didn't know that you were classified as a female when you went through your class. <laughs> that explains a lot. Thank you, Morgan. We're in the wool. <laughs> Sorry, I you yeah, 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 yeah. Remember, yeah. I know where you live. I've been to your house. I know the layout. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> I love you, brother. Yeah, okay, whatever. Back to our regularly scheduled. That. That divergence, you know that that one is on Murph, not on me. So, a digression. So, so back to it. So, how did you get out of Afu? 
So, so after doing a, you know, a lot of help, one of the bosses and one of the groups said, no, no, we're getting this kid in here because this is the, he's like a peacock. You know, I say I'm like a peacock because I, I didn't know shit about law enforcement, but I spoke uh, Cubano Spanish and I knew how to get us around town. Remember, there was no GPSs. You should have seen the, the messes on cases on surveillance. Guys would end up like in 10 miles away. Oh, and yeah. like, I'm thinking, this is not good. These are Remember those big ass, the, the big, big map books we all carry. Yeah, that was, yeah, you know, uh, so, so. I, I, I distinctly remember every afternoon when everybody went home in the AFU, I'd show up in different groups, you know, with my gun strapped on and probably looking a little too amped up. And I'll never forget this guy that ended up in that group that I finally get to go to, an older guy. He was assigned when I got there to help me out, sees me, and he walk, calls me over. And finally, he goes, listen, kid, I'm going to be helping you out here. So I just want to tell you something. Do you, you, do you know that show, Miami Vice? I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, do you like it? I go, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I like it. I've seen it. He goes, well, remember, kid, you're young, you're smart, you're good looking. You are Miami Vice. Calm the fuck down. Yeah, man. You know? <laughs> he said that to me just like that. And I'm like, what? Like, then he goes, you are Miami Vice. Calm the fuck down, you know? And I don't know what he meant by by, by that. Well, were but you I, showing up in your silk shirt and your $29 no, silk tie? Yeah, and, yeah by and, then I, no, by then I ditched the, the, the you know, the, the, the Giorgio Brutini loafers and, and my suits. I was just trying to be cool. Yeah. No, by then I had the, the whole Guayabera and the flowing shirts. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I had, I had to hide that, yeah. But he just kind of thought this gets too wound up, but this poor guy, um, and I finally get there. You asked me, I'm going to get to that case. I, again, I, I had no background on this. So every day he helps me with the paperwork. My boss, Dennis says, Hey, we'll help you. You know? So I would go to him and he'd help me write my reports. But I'd notice when he came back every afternoon, he'd, 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 he'd go to Ma Grundy's and apparently he'd had a martini or two. And again, remember I'm young. I don't want to say anything. And, and this guy's got that dragon breath blowing me out of my like desk next to him with that, you know, liquor fueled breath be mixed in with a nasty tuna sandwich. Oh. And, and I'm sitting there and he's like slurring his speech. So the boss finally sees me looking around after a couple of days and he calls me. In. And again, hand to God, he says, Listen, Alex, a uh, Vietnam veteran, uh, spent a few years in NYPD, and he's a good man. He's he's going to retire here soon. Um, and let me give you a piece of advice, kid. If if It's probably better if you try to ask him to help you in the mornings than in the <laughs> afternoons. <laughs> this is my boss. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. And I'd, heaven forbid I say, yeah, because he's, you know, shit-faced drunk. No, no. But great men. I admired them. But as I grew older, like I said, I, I drew I drew a certain amount of empathy for them because they didn't have all these resources and and sort of um, you know mechanisms to kind of catch you. But but there I, I meet uh, you know uh, A. D. Wright, the legendary Adolphus uh, P. Wright, and Dave Gaddis, Chris Feistel, and well, we had Dave Gaddis on, we had Feistel, yeah, and we'll have to get A. D. on. You you need to get him on. Uh, he he again is is is, is lore. Uh, uh, with his uh, toughness and and whatnot, so we we I start really like my first case with with actually with Chris Feistel, and uh, we're investigating these African um, uh, guys that that were 
somehow set up in Miami, and they were from Ghana specifically. And back then, that was like a, a very rare, well, rare I, thing. Well, I guess it was all yeah. cocaine at the time. So heroin was actually f- very rare in Miami yes. at the time. Extreme. Very rare, very rare. Um, and then later, as you know, you know, we'll, we'll bypass the history lesson. You know, they started to to synthesize it in you know opium in, in Colombia. But before then, these guys were bringing it in from from Africa, and they had some connections up in New York. So, very like you said, they did also have connections with Colombians. And the informant said, "Hey, look, the guy was called Sam. I'll never forget." Sam Manko was the the African guy, and um, very interesting case. But you know the 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 case took us to Virginia. When I say Virginia, the D.C. area, and that's when I realized that law enforcement is not created equal as far as the application of law in South Florida. And 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 man, Steve, you remember. You know, a lot of guys would get bond and they would do what we used to nickname the Avianca shuffle. You know, they, they'd be that afternoon, you know, on, on, a, on a plane and, and your guy was gone and, you know, fugitives galore. But, but this case, there is this guy and to this day, I still feel bad for him is his name was very common Hispanic name, like Raul Garcia. So. I approached this guy and he was one of the cocaine suppliers to this guy. And we tell him with our prosecutor that he should consider taking a plea here in Miami because, you know, the alternatives are not good. And he's being investigated up in this thing called the Eastern District of Virginia. Uh, Hence, back then, uh, maybe today it's called the Rocket Docket. And that's where there was no. How how much heroin were we talking about at that time? Um. Not like mega, like hundreds. I would say we we ended up seizing about over the whole thing about like eight or nine pounds of heroin, you know, which was a lot back then. That was a lot of, you know, different. We ended up getting one pound once and we got three pounds and then we got three pounds. So if you remember the price between heroin and cocaine, you know. Per kilo, you know, what was, how did they translate out? What was more expensive at that time? Uh, well, I mean, the heroin was per, by, by weight, by weight. And, and by then, um, uh, I distinctly remember before I come on the job, uh, sadly, Mercury Morris, who, who was a hero of mine, Great Miami Dolphins. Back of the Dolphins, uh, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And he gets, he gets tangled up in some cocaine thing in the very early 80s. And a key of Coke back then was about 50 grand. When I get to Miami and Steve, it plummets at one point to like, I think it's down to 11 or $12,000 for a key of Coke uh, because it was just, you know, so plentiful. But, but this guy, Rule Garcia, um, is getting bad legal counsel, and he has essentially gets indicted instead of in South Florida, the Southern District. He gets indicted up in Virginia, and that's when the end of the world starts. In my vision of the rocket docket. Well, you said you said it's you were talking earlier. You said something about because not because he got too cute, but because kind of because his lawyer got too cute, right? Yep. Absolutely. And again, what has, so what did he do to be too cute that he, he didn't take the deal down there and then instead now is up here in the Eastern District of Virginia? Well, because it was, you know, that that was a true uh, somewhat of an international case because of the heroin. And, and of course, it was multi-jurisdictional and we had uh, some connections to D.C. So we had a very good prosecutor. So he gets indicted up there. He'd come up for a couple of meetings. So 
I'm sitting there as the case in chief uh, at the table for this guy. And I'm going to give you the scene because uh, um, his last name is, ironically, back then his last name was Trump. Don Trump was the AUSA. And he says, this is not going to go well. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, you're going to see. So this guy, Rule Garcia, brings up counsel from Miami. And it's now Monday. And this guy shows up like two hours late. And you see this judge that uh, the name is escaping me or not, but I'm seeing him. Little glasses on his nose. He was actually put there, I think, during the Eisenhower administration. He'd been on the bench like 50 years. No nonsense guy. So in comes Raul Garcia's attorney with a ponytail, ostrich skin, cowboy boots, and this like- I already like, can tell this ain't going to go no, well. No, no, no. And he's got this double-breasted suit, and he's sashaying up to, to the bench. Your Honor, Joe Scheinbaum for the defense. I'm going to need a two-hour continuance because I've been in handling some very important matters in Florida, and I was just getting to town last night, so I need some time to confer with my client. And all of a sudden, the judge, I swear to God, he's rocking back and forth. And this is not exaggeration. He, and he sits and he goes, Mrs. Smith, the court reporter, what do you got on your calendar for today? Your Honor, I got the United States versus Garcia. Mr. Johnson, what do you have on your calendar for today? Your Honor, I got the United States government versus Garcia. Mr. Trump, how about you? Yes, Your Honor, I've got. United States versus Garcia goes, so do I. I don't understand, Mr. Scheinbaum, why you don't have it to. Proceed. And there (laughs) it went down from, that was what he said to the guy. Now, this guy's now, so I'm looking at the defendant. sounds like a scene out of my cousin, Vinny. I'm sorry. No, no, no. But but the whole time he's like kind of rocking, not even looking, looked like he was almost like half asleep, but he's making, and that's, I'm not exaggerating his accent. So we'll proceed then. Uh, so I, I think he gives a guy like 10 minutes out of courtesy, probably for the, the thing. Another thing I look over and I say to, to the prosecutor, I go, there's a lady in the jury box. She's doing a rosary, you know, and you might say, what's wrong with that? I, 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 that's not good. When you got some little old lady doing a rosary over there, uh, and, and they got all these, Guys from Miami talking about tons of coke and and heroin and and debauchery and 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 it would go on and then this guy it was like a comedy thing because the judge would be rocking like this and then he was thrown off his thing he would try to start you know how some attorneys start walking around he would say Mister Scheinbaum podium please podium he would make him stay behind the podium <laughs> and every time he tried to get cute you know that whole walking over toward the jury. And he would rock say, podium, Mr. Mr. Scheinbaum, podium. And then he would sit there, your honor, objection, denied, proceed. And he would just go back and forth, asked and answered, proceed. And he just took this poor guy off his game. And when he first asked them, he goes, uh, how long do you think this is going to take? He goes, your honor, this is at least a week. He goes, a week? I don't understand. I think we'll be done by tomorrow. You know, and, and it was just, a, and every time this guy tried to come up with some South Florida BS argument, podium, Mr. Scheinbaum, proceed denied. See, I mean, you know? People got to understand too, I never spent as much time in federal court as you guys did, but my, my few times in there, 
a good federal judge is like God on earth. They know how to run everything. Oh God, yeah. They, they, they things moving. They, they it, this is not about hey, we're not doing stuff on your schedule. We're doing stuff on my schedule. Now yep. let's get going. Yeah, no, and 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 you know, at the time, why do I? Why is this part of the story? Because Steve will tell you. Back then in Miami, I guess there was just so much action going on. Um, only the worst of the worst got kept in prison, and the judges. I'll be honest, I felt they showed a significant amount of deference to a significant amount of deference to the defense bar, probably because a lot of these lawyers someday figured, I mean, these these judges figured maybe I'll be one of them. And there were some big hitters. You remember, Steve, you know, oh, yeah. the Roy Blacks yeah. and a lot of. Uh, well, I you remember know, just him. The, yeah. 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 yeah so they'd come in and they, uh, they were demigods. And I think that but. In the, in the southern, in the eastern district of Virginia, that dog just don't hunt. And it was just a, and you know what? Uh, it didn't actually end Tuesday afternoon, like the judge had said. It went Wednesday morning. But poor Raul Garcia got hit with 15 years, and he would have got five in Miami. He'd have come in, you know, done a rule, done a rule 35, would have, you know, served up a few di- guys to someone like me. I said, you know how it works. You serve a few guys, you'll, you'll get a little bit of time off and you'll come out. But the poor guy got sentenced up there to 15 years. And uh, that was my story of the rocket docket. And, you know, justice is not always equal. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's, but I have no sense. Or not equally but, applied. Let's yeah. put it that way. Well, no it Go ahead, Steve. I just have no sympathy for him. He he got himself into the pickle and uh, oh no, uh, you, you know, know the I, other I, mistake he made was hiring a South Florida lawyer. What he should have done is got one up there that understood the system, that understood exactly. the court, that's and understood the judge. Course. That's rule one. I, I, I look over over my life. I've had a handful of instances. I'm sure you guys too, where people have called for different things, family members or issues. I said, listen, I don't know a whole lot. I can tell you. But do get local counsel. I learned that a long time ago. Do get local counsel. Don't bring in some big gun from out of town because it doesn't usually work. I don't care how good you know, he we is. Had, get we local had a case in, in, uh, in North Carolina, of all places, and the source was a guy out of – his first name was Malik. I'll never forget. And he was bringing, he was bringing like 15 keys of powder down to Salisbury, North Carolina, north of Charlotte at a time, and this was happening on a weekly basis or so. I mean, he's bringing a good amount of dope in. And, and we were able to do not only a substantive count, but we also did a conspiracy count. So he starts out with this New York lawyer. Lawyer comes down, reviews the evidence, goes back to his client, says, Malik, you need, to, you need to take a plea deal on this one. You know, you're looking at 20 to life. So he's like, you're fired, goes and gets a Miami attorney. Guy <laughs> comes in, looks at the evidence. I mean, the, the phone records, the stack was probably four feet tall. You know, the, the toll records that we had on this guy. And, uh, you know, the, the prosecutor called him and says, uh, are you interested in a plea deal on this? He's like, nope, I've seen the evidence. We're going to trial. Malik is doing life in federal prison. On his judgment committal order, it says date of release upon death. All because of that, what you just said, getting an out-of-town attorney. I believe it. I I'll believe tell you, it. Tell you what, man. Have you guys not seen my cousin Vinny? That's the only time getting an out of town attorney works for you. Otherwise, yeah, than that, yeah. it doesn't work. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. So that that was my first sort of a multi jurisdictional case and my introduction. Since then, I'd been in 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 dozens of out of town courtrooms. I'll give you the last one because I still remember. We went to Puerto Rico, right? And of course, you know it's Puerto Rico, so. Oh wait you a minute! Know, what do you mean by that? So let no, you, no, no, no. On on another matter. Uh, on on another matter. Actually, it was the the next case. But speaking about multi jurisdictional things is 
we're in U.S. federal court in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and all of a sudden I'm sitting there, and then, okay, it is now the Honorable Juan Rodriguez Fernandez presiding, and we shall begin, and uh, the court is now in order. Okay, approach the bench. Okay, ahora que vamos a hacer. So then they would fucking call us to the bench, the, the two lawyers and the judge, and they're talking in Spanish. They're talking in Spanish. And then everybody goes back to, they're saying, goes, okay, we agreed that the bond is now 500,000. I think this is, this is not supposed to be this way. It's got to be in English, you know. But it was like they would sit there in, in Spanish, then this, and then we go back and and then put it like three sentences in English. Okay, we agree to the bond. Okay, finished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Different like, place. Yeah, and I was like, "What are you guys doing up there?" And I could hear them talking. No, porque tú sabes, por favor, dile que vamos. You know, See, isn't it amazing how an hour of conversation <laughs> in Spanish can be reduced down to two sentences oh, in English? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, arms are flailing. It's all animated. Then it comes back and it gets put on the record for three sentences. Okay, all right, sounds whatever. And I thought that was funny as shit. Oh, we have I a wish, plea uh, deal, yeah. Your Honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What well, I think the record is supposed to cover all that stuff you guys said. But hey, I'm I'm good. I'm just a, a working agent. I get agent what you mean here. now. I get what you mean now by well it's puerto rico so they kind of yeah there's nah, and, and, and they didn't mess around though they did it but they they did it their way and and again i i had again great cops down there and and the judges were good i will tell you but i just found that was a, a, a an interesting thing uh in camera I, well i bet that happens in a lot of courtrooms a lot of stuff Probably gets done in camera. oh yeah no look they used to say the only justice in the halls of t- justice takes place in the halls they work out everything <laughs> in the halls you know i can't tell you how many times i went to court you're waiting there for an hour, and then they come and say, "Okay, we cut a deal." You guys could have done this yesterday, like right? Help me out here. Working midnights or being on a you know four day invest four days out, you know, on an investigation. And anyway, I digress. But hey, let's but let's talk. This is a fun one though. The next one I wanted to talk to you about. You brought up this is actually cool because I think this is where you overlap with Murph. This is where we get into some good drama here because it involves a pilot, a tree, and cojones. So, oh god, yeah. <laughs> A pilot of three. <laughs> hey, there's if there was ever a lead in, there you go. So uh, <laughs> that could be the name of a movie. Pilot tree and cojones, yeah, yeah. or a new drink down at the you know you uh, at the hotel. So, so, so let's talk about this smuggling case though with uh, Columbia because obviously your Spanish skills are going to be uh, needed. But uh, what what's the context? How did this thing get set up? The, the, this thing is a what was very common. I believe Steve's group was they were the the vanguard group in Miami that did these these big time smuggling cases was it group 10 was it group 10 yeah international international smuggling and and they 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 were the catch me out but we we'd put one together and the the real quick version is unlike today you you didn't have to go through a lot of uh, you know approval processes or we, we we didn't know we had to as far as flying down into Colombia without notifying the Colombians help. Sometimes maybe DEA maybe didn't know because it, it, things were done uh, at the last minute. So it was not uncommon for like informants to be shared sometimes with other groups and pilots. So this poor pilot goes down there to pick up a load. And the next thing we hear is he's yelling at the top of his lungs that he is tied to like a tree and he's down to his skivvies, and that if they don't pay these Colombians, I forget the figure, like $200,000, that the other informant who forgot to tell us 
that he'd probably screwed these bad guys over and didn't think they'd show up, but they did, and they put it together. So now our informant pilot is in his skivvies, and he says, on the phone through the through to the informant, which we got it, he says, these guys have got a machete, and they're going to cut my nuts off if you don't pay them the money they're owed. So we're like, holy shit, now what do we do? Now what do we do? Because we didn't want the guy to get killed. We then, I forget if it, where that part I don't remember, we find another informant that flies down there. Talk about the onions on these guys. And he goes down there and makes peace with these traffickers saying, look, this poor pilot does not have your money. It's not his fault. If you give him the dope and let him bring this shipment down, you will be paid not only for this, but I give you my word that it'll happen. And, you know, we're listening to this sometimes on, t- on, on the, the two-way radio. And, uh, and you know, it, it happened. It happened. I, I, I don't think that guy was ever the same. The pilot, when he flew back to Miami with that load, I think he, his name was <laughs> Hell, Art. Would yeah. you ever be the same yeah, as somebody yeah, had a machete yeah, out there? Yeah, yeah. He got off the plane, and he was just, like, cursing. And, uh, you know, we paid him. We, we remunerated him very well, and, and, and rightfully so. There you go what, with the financial for, term, for, remuneration. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and he did his job. And, and, uh, but it, it was just crazy stuff that today, if you said, we already have a, a guy that's being ki- that's kidnapped, he's going to get killed. Let's double down and let's fly another guy down there. <laughs> they would tell you you're crazy. Murph, who does this sound like? Uh, Sounds you- like a good plan, boss. Are you kidding? <laughs> They'd walk you out of the building and say, this guy's nuts. But we did it back then. Steve did it. He did it all the time. <laughs> well, we, who was, who was uh, Luis Navia Rascogno? Oh, uh, Rascuño. Rascuño, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah big time. North Valley yeah. Cartel. Yeah, we had a guy, Luis Navia, on, was kid, was, was twice, right? Could have killed him twice. Yeah. Well, once there, and then the Mexicans got him. The Mexicans were going to feed him to alligators, remember? They were taking him out. And, uh, a phone Rascu- call came in. The whole thing saved his life. Yeah, Rascuño actually let him go because I guess the record was if you were kidnapped by Rascuño, the, uh, the, you were going to lose that engagement. Oh, he was known for skinning people alive and then, you know, torturing them and then kill them. So this guy, let's talk wanted- a little bit more about this case. So how did it, how did it get to the point of where this, um, so how did you go about flipping, you know, finding the pilots? Cause the one thing I really liked about your guys's approach too, was the only way to get Coke from there up to here was transportation, right? So it's either going to be a boat or a plane, most likely. So going well, after the well, pilots, both. And both, boats, both, yeah. both, both, you know, the, the, it was still, um, pretty commonplace. You'd, you'd, you'd fly them out. They would fly either into the Bahamas and just the airdrops. It was not that complicated. You'd have these go fast boats, you know, the, the, the different brands, they, they you know, what I, I, the I, I want to say you could put about five, 600 keys in the hull of one of those things at the time. And they would, you know, they'd have the, the Cal, the, the, the Cal lights, they drop them in the water and pick them up. It wasn't that complicated in different places, but you're going to say you, 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 you are the most compassionate, uh, and, and, and almost like sad DEA agent. I did something. I did it with Chris on this case that I, I, I kind of still to this day feel bad about we're, these guys are not bringing a load of cocaine. We're trying to keep this case going without and getting And when you burned. say these guys, are they tied? I'm to sorry. The, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, yeah. a cartel or, you know, which group? Oh, or- yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is a smuggling organization that we have an informant into that they have boats and they're bringing cocaine. And we're trying to figure out how can we seize some of these shipments without get, tipping our hand. So we were always trying to find 
places outside of Miami to interdict the cargo. So we make a decision when we're tracking this thing and it stops in the Dominican Republic and it's there for like six hours. And we end up contacting DEA in the Dom rep who gets the Dominicans on board. So we tell them, do not go straight to where it is. Do make it appear like a happenstance kind of a search. And now we're going back and forth on the phone every like 25 minutes to half hour that I'll never forget. The guy was called captain was the Dominican captain in charge of this operation. And the DEA agent is telling me he can't find it. And he's getting frustrated. I go, just keep looking. It's there. It's there. So all of a sudden I get a call and I am told captain found it. So I go down there about a week later and I go to see one of these guys in the Dominican prison that he wanted to cooperate. There were four of them. He did not look good. And it appears that Captain at some point took some liberties. And again, this is, I, I did not do this. This was not a statute of limitations. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, did, I, I never, I didn't do this. It appears that Captain took some, some liberties with a pipe and the guy's shins. And um, this guy uh, apparently pointed immediately to where the contraband was. And this guy was started crying to me and said, I'll go to Florida and I'll plead to anything. I'll plead to life, but you got to get me out of here because, uh, and I, I, that was like a, a, a bad Fellini movie, uh, what that prison looked like. So we get to Miami and these guys are now being charged in Miami, Florida, in the Southern district. Well, hold on before you get there. So. What did it take to get them out of the custody of the Dominicans? Because obviously at that point, the crime's committed in the Dominican Republic. You know, it's the DR. What kind, of, what kind of things do you have to do to get them to agree to release them into U.S. custody for extradition? Sure. No, that's – look, that's a great question. And uh, first of all, all their, their, their attorneys were, 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 were pushing for it. Uh, the AUSA spoke to the, 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 the prosecutors there. At the end of the day – the, the Dominicans, they don't want to deal with this. These were, these were actually uh, American citizens. You know, they were Cubans, but they were American citizens and they, they don't need the added, the added sort of stuff. So they were happy after like two months to extradite them to South Florida. So that's how it happened is, is I'm not saying that they would always do that, but they didn't have a problem, I guess, when they realized this was part of a bigger case. So that's how they ended up in the courtroom there. And that's where my, 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 uh, my world continues to get very uncomfortable with Captain when he appears in a South Florida courtroom. Well, yeah, let's talk about that because if I'm a defense attorney, I'm th I'm licking my lips at this one. I'm going, um, uh, you know, this is going to be a fun one. I, I could use um, the fact that the I mean, there's no there's no doubt in your mind at this point, and probably these folks either. This guy has been beat with a pipe, right? He has been physically abused to the point of where he's given up a confession that may or may not stand in a U.S. courtroom, right? Right, right. How do you handle uh, that? Well, here's here's how 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 we handled it is, um, uh, we end up uh, bringing down the four guys. Two of them plead guilty, and they're just happy to 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 be at uh, Club Fed. You know, uh, a long term guest of uh, you know the the Bureau of Prisons, considering the hellhole they were at in in the Dominican Republic uh, prison that they were in. Um, and the other two rolled the dice and I had no choice, but to reach out to the Dom rep and said, um, because 
the captain was the guy who handled this. I had to bring him to Miami to testify. He speaks no, no English. He's all of about five foot two. Okay. So a little I bit of Napoleon complex then? I, I don't know. He seemed like a decent enough guy, but I don't know him all that well. So the AUSA says to me, is there anything we need to know <laughs> to put Captain on the stand? And I said, Bill, I would rather not put him on the stand. Can't we somehow just talk to this? Can't we, can't I somehow read the reports? He goes, nope. We're going to have to put Captain on the stand. Fine. So I said to him, you know that Captain Luna comes from a country where things are a little bit different, and I'm giving him the win, and he's glaring at me. He knows what I'm saying, you know, and I can't tell you what he's going to I, I can't tell you what he's going to say. So Captain Luna comes into Miami. I'm not there with him. He comes in the night before I meet him. I stick him at the Holiday Inn down, down the street from the courtroom. And I have one of the other agents to go pick up Captain. So I tell him, you're going to come to a courtroom. You'll be sworn in, and then you'll just talk to him, right? So the doors of the courtroom, this is true. Again, You're gonna, I'm not exaggerating. There's certain things I'll tell you. I'm just making a joke. The doors, I don't know why, he must have pushed them, and they flip open. And here you got this five-foot-one guy dressed like a tin-pot dictator with a uniform with regalia everywhere, this hat that looked like the size of a small ship on his head with all those gold-encrusted things. And he, <laughs> he like, sachets down the aisle, like, looking for, like, I'm like, and then Bill looks over and he's glaring. I don't even want to make eye contact. I'm, I feel his, <laughs> my ear is burning. And I see Captain dressed like like one of those like uh, Borat movie guys. You know Wait, what I Manuel mean? Manuel Noriega. <laughs> yes, yes. So he goes up there and he takes off his hat and he's got that whole stuff on. And then it's the translator. It's I, of course, can hear. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. And, and you know, we, we put him on. He's, he explains that they find the cocaine. Here comes the defense attorney. Uh, do you know my client? He goes, yes, I do. Si, senor. You know what I mean? Uh, and then he says, I have to ask you a very question, good, simple question right out of the start. Did you at any point hit my client in the leg with a pipe? And you see Sitcher, and he like stiffens up, and he goes, eh, in the... Something along the lines in Spanish, in a very formal, he goes, in the application of law enforcement, there are mechanisms that must happen. And I'm like, oh, God. And what <laughs> mechanism was that? Did you use a pipe to have my client tell you where the cocaine was? You need to understand. Is now pointing at the heroes. These are delinquents. These are men that need to be treated with a firm hand. Now I've got Bill, like, staring at me like, you are screwing this up, Alex, by bringing this crazy guy here. So it starts to go back and forth and pointing at the defendants. Eso son delinquentes. And now he's just yelling, these are delinquents. They must be dealt with a firm hand. And I'm like, oh, God, you know. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? It, it was honest. He, he, I forget if he admitted. I don't think he actually said I hit him. Uh, but it was clear after a few times the judge you know, probably being a foreign cop or something. But this is like a movie stuff too, by the way. This was movie oh, yeah. type stuff to see this guy dressed like that. And I'm thinking, you don't, this is the United States. You can't do that. 
And he walked his ass out. I, I saw him later that afternoon, bought him a beer, put him on a plane, just get him out of here. And you know what? I, I don't know if this is going to sound crazy. They ended up, they got convicted. They did get convicted. I'm thinking right. that, so I'm a little shocked because I'm thinking the minute you start talking, I mean, that's the equivalent of torture. You know, you, you beat somebody with the pipe. Um, now, did you, did you he ever, never, he never said he did. And yeah, I, again, no, no, no. Look, I'm not saying that, that today or in another court that would have flown. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, remember it was a conspiracy, but it was a conspiracy case. There were multiple acts. This was just one of several overt acts that maybe even if the judge would have said, to throw out the whole thing about that shipment. Um, they, they, they probably, still would have gone to prison. Yeah, probably, probably, but, but, but they didn't rule 29 them, which is, you know, an outright, you know, judges, uh, uh, acquittal. So, but yeah, made me feel very uncomfortable for about a half hour dressed like that. As like well as the scene. USA making you feel uncomfortable. Oh yeah. 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 What's he going to say? Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, now, yeah. did you, did you, I mean, so when you're talking to the assistant United States attorney, the AUSA, did, I mean, were you, were you kind of hesitant to have a very clear conversation with him about he hit him with the pipe you were just trying to get around it by saying hey they do things a little different down there maybe he applied a little bit too much force or yeah no no he he knew and and i told him i told him that he may have been he may have been you know roughed up i i I didn't have pictures i didn't have any specifics that it was a pipe no one no one ever what do you call it the only way i know that is because when i went to speak to the defendant he gave me that very graphic thing and I'm not saying I disbelieved the defendant and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say anything and that, Hey, this is what's going to happen. And he's like, I don't care. You know, kind of an, not, I don't care. He says, I'll, I'll do what I got to do. And that's when uh, and he testified in Spanish. Yeah. It's a different, you know, again, different countries. I mean, every time I've been, I've been into like probably 30, 40 different countries, you know, you come back a couple times there you get you you land the first thing you want to do is get the, get on that tarmac and just kiss the ground and go thank god i oh, am back yeah, in the good yeah, old yes, us of a yes they like i said they probably spent 10 years very happily somewhere in kentucky or in uh, uh i don't think they went to panama panama city right that's like a level one who did we have one of the guys we had on was in panama city uh, uh might have been Rijok or i think it was ken or luis navia luis navia that's right he was yeah. in panama city one of the fine federal correctional institutions run by the united states government yeah but that's not a hard place that's i don't even think they have fences in a couple no of no he was places. playing in a band he had drums and <laughs> yeah yeah they, they, they yeah. paint lines on the grass and you can't step yeah over yeah actually Stephen, in your old neck of the woods there's a, a morgantown that's got bushes i remember going there once and I go, where's the fence? He goes, no, no, it's those bushes. This, uh, oh, they no don't kidding. run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morgantown is, is this, it just has like a little fencing around it. It's not, no big deal because it's it's a low low priority, low 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 security. Morgantown. Uh, yeah, I went I went there once to talk to a guy and. It didn't look like a terribly bad bad existence. Truth be told, like, like you said, one guy had a band. Yeah, Luis Navia played in a band while he was there. <laughs> he was. Uh, you remember uh, Keith Kaminsky? Yes, you know yes, yeah. yeah. So he he worked with customs uh, and helped to arrest Luis Navia in Venezuela as they were getting transport, getting ready to transport. Was it twenty six tons? Twenty six tons to Europe yeah. on a big. They were their whole scheme was they were using huge ships. I mean, you could hide a ton of stuff on those ships, and that's what they were doing mm-hmm. is getting them out of there. But but all right, so. In terms of your career, uh, how much time did you spend at Miami? Was all your career there, or did you end up going somewhere else? 
No, I I I spent my first uh, six seven years in Miami, and then I I was very very lucky. I was assigned to our consulate in Milan, Italy. Uh, I think for for many of my years of uh, of, uh, of of toiling in South Florida and and carrying uh, the water, and they rewarded me by a tour in, in Milan, Italy. So that was a very that I went. I spent a couple of years in Dallas, Texas. Oh, let's oh, I, let's yeah. not leave Italy oh, sure, too. Sure, right. Let's, let's sure. talk about Italy for a second. Oh, that had to be tough duty. So, what kind of stuff were you doing in Milan besides having cappuccinos, you know, and sitting outside and having a you know a good uh, Pinot Grigio in the evening? Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. And and it's interesting because I went from doing a fair amount of you know like undercover work uh, in between things, running my own cases with my partners, uh, very hands on. And Milan, to be honest, was like. 100%, um, 98% uh, just liaison. You were just connecting dots. What we ended up doing there is really, Colombia was still a big deal, and there were a lot of Colombian traffickers coming into Europe at the time. So we did a lot of uh, liaison between the Italian cops and DEA in, 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 in Colombia. So that's really how we made our our, 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 our presence. One thing useful. about Italy, there are so many law enforcement organizations. I remember we actually, at one year at the International Association of Chiefs of Police, the Catabinieri. Catabinieri, sure. Catabinieri in their fancy uniform showed oh, up with their Lamborghini. Nice. Aren't they cool? Up, yeah. Their, showed up with their Lamborghini Diablo. That yeah, you see that? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, you know why? Yeah. Here's what I figured out. This is what they told me. I don't know how true it is. You tell me. They go, look, in, 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 in Italy, in Italia. If we get there first, we run the show. So that's one of the reasons why I had the Diablos. They wanted to be the first ones there. But you had competing organizations in Italy, didn't you? The, 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 yeah, there were there were three main groups: the 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 Carabinieri, La Guardia di Finanza, which is like uh, you know an IRS and customs on steroids, and then there was the the the, the police, just la police, la polizia, and they would, uh, and then there was customs and other crews. But yeah, those three people played pretty hard against each other, uh, no doubt. No. Did you go visit the Vatican? I did not uh, per se visit. I had actually been to the Vatican once before, which was a big, big, big time. I enjoyed that. I went to the Vatican um, with a a friend of mine that was a priest actually here from Florida, from from Florida. But no, I didn't go that time uh, to to, to the Vatican itself. I was in Rome a lot, but not to to the Vatican. I mean, I'm sure I went to St. Peter's in the Basilica outside in the courtyard, but not like inside the museum. They have a very, very incredible museum there. So was that a three-year tour for you? In I, ended up, I was there four years, four years, and then uh, went to Giddy Up Dallas. Giddy Up Dallas? Mm-hmm. What'd you do down in Dallas? I was a group supervisor. That's the first time I, I get promoted, and I spend two years, two years there, and um, I end up coming back to Miami again as a supervisor for about three or four. And then I make my way like we all do here to uh, headquarters where I get to meet uh, Mr. Murphy for the second time. You know, he's got a little bit less hair, a little bit more gray. And, and, and now he's the legendary Pablo Escobar hunter. You yeah, know, he's famous uh, in my own mind. Oh man. Steve, I, I, I've, I've, Got a lot of drinks paid for me by dropping your name. When I would tell people, is, <laughs> "Go for it, brother." <laughs> no, it's true. When listen, when Narcos was uh, was was like happening, 
um, I would tell people, yeah, yeah, I, 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 ironically, I go, yeah, I know Chris Feistel and Steve Murphy. Ah, bullshit. Ah, that's not true. And then I'd show them photos. They go, wow, wow. <laughs> here, here. I'll, 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 that's on me. I'll take that. That vodka tonics on me. No, no. I, was I would show the pictures. Yeah, yeah. both of them. I, would, I was telling Murph, my son was working out in Hayward, California. He works for Castle Security, and he was coming back. And they had that was the conference you were at, Steve. You spoke out at RSA Security mm-hmm. for, I think it was Force Point. Yeah. Flying back, and he's sitting next to this guy, and this guy's got a signed copy of Manhunters. And he's going on and on about Murph. I got to meet these guys. It was really cool. And my son looks at him and says, yeah, my dad does a podcast with him. He just kind of like <laughs> drops it in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if he'd looked in oh, the book, he'd have man. seen one of our business cards for Game of Crimes. Yeah. But uh, more, uh, Alex and I were uh, ASACs, Assistant Special Agents in Charge Together in Special Operations Division. At, oh, in, you got the Derek Maltz treatment too. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody can stand up to Derek like Alex here. I'm telling you. That, no. What you, know, you, know, no, you know how no Derek did. is. He, 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 he talks you down. Alex can talk Derek down. It was hilarious. We had some of the best meetings. <laughs> no, Der- Derek uh, is, is is so passionate. You know. you know, he'd sit at the guard booth out there. Remember when people were leaving? <laughs> oh, we got that story. And he would pay Murph. Would. Murph was the snitch. He would pay, people would pay Murph mm. to let them know. And actually, it was Paul Crane. Paul had uh, Murph, they paid Murph to let him know when uh, when uh, Derek was out there at the guard booth waiting for people to leave early. <laughs> and then he'd stop you and says, where are you going? <laughs> And yeah. people be like, "Excuse me, you're the sack. Why are you in that guard booth?" <laughs> yeah, because I'm trying to keep people working late. Yeah, uh, it's oh, hard to the right place. He put he put the video camera for the guard booth in my office. <laughs> Paul Crane and Jamie Hunt come to me one day and they're like, "Listen, Murph, a phone call. Here's three bucks. Just phone call. That's all we're asking just, just for. Got for three bucks. What uh, self-respecting snitch uh, does it for three bucks? Uh, come on. Oh man, oh man, <laughs> we had some good times. Yeah, yeah, but but look, man, you know, I I I I. I I got. I met guys like Steve, and and listen, and and I didn't mention. I I got. I, I didn't mention because um, I'm talking to to you, Morgan. Is my one of my best sort of like memories. I don't remember a lot of details about some of the cases and stuff. I don't, but I remember the people, man, in this job around the world, and even in the United States. You 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 meet cops that I was always just so damn impressed, you know, just smart, smart guys that, you know, I don't know if the public is understand. They keep people alive, not even know, realizing that they do, how they'll diffuse things. You know, we're in this environment, you know, where, where there's a lot of uh, different views, shall we say, on, on police and policing. And can we improve in some areas? Probably, but, uh, or absolutely. But man, my, my favorite thing was just, meeting a lot of the people that I met and thinking back. And I still keep in contact with, with some of these guys. Wait a minute. You uh, stay in I, contact with him? No, not with per se, but oh, with okay. other, <laughs> a lot of other cops I have. Oh yeah. yeah. Hey, what did you do? Oh, send, yeah. send him a pipe and tobacco for Christmas? No, Get it a pipe. <laughs> no, 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 no. Try, try this pipe instead, captain. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Marks. Yeah. What's that, yeah. Steve? I said, if you use mining cable and you wrap it in like duct tape or electrical tape, it won't leave any marks. Yeah. Oh boy. See, this thanks, is thanks for the pro tip there, Murph. Yeah. On uh, yeah. restraint. <laughs> so, um, how did you end up your career at uh, DEA? Um, pretty much here in 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 in, in headquarters, and then I I led a, a, a very fruitful about 10, 11 years as a contractor. 
you know, um, uh, as you know, a lot of us, you, you retire and your, your, your security clearance is still good. And, you know, the government, uh, you know, went through, especially during the, the, the famous, the, the GWAT, the global war on terror, there was a big brain drain, you know, and they just really couldn't probably af- afford to let people go. And, and there was these contracts, you know, that Steve was on one, um, that was very serious work and, and so forth. And again, great experience. You did some stuff with Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I was, uh, uh, an executive mentor toward, uh, um, the, the, the general who ran the intelligence directorate and, uh, very interesting guy, very interesting guy. He was, um, I think he probably was a former Mujahideen himself. And I, I, I think he'd probably killed a Russian or two in his day. He never wanted to talk about it much, but I always made sure I was in good graces with him. You know, very Damn quiet right. guy. Yeah. Did, but it's funny. You, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. When you were in Kabul, so was that a one-year contract? Those contracts basically would go like a year at a time. And then, um, you know, they, but they generally would get renewed. Um, as long as the contract, the company still had the, 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 you know, the money. They, Where did they you would sleep do. at over there? We, we, we ended up staying in a contractor compound uh, just outside the airport. Um, you know, you never, I never slept really comfortably. I, I never felt the security. You look at those guard posts and, uh, you know, you, you just say, Hey, you know, here by the grace of God, go I and us. So, uh, did they, give, so did they, they argue didn't keep up? you up in the DEA compound? Yeah, no, we, no, we didn't, we didn't live in the DEA compound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we were armed, uh, in the contracts that I was on. Um, uh, the first one I was not, but on the, the other one I was, you know, and look, man, it, it, I, I, I still got the photos. It's, it's, it is a little unsettling that you'll go to one of these, um, you know, uh, entry points and there's still I, I, pink mist on the wall, you know? Uh, well, I, some I, of the uh, green yeah, on blue yeah. attacks too. They had some of the Afghan soldiers who would turn. They killed that one U.S. general. They killed uh, you know, some other folks. You know, no, there were several instances of it, of fratricide, no doubt. Uh, very sad, very sad. So yeah, you never. I never rested. If you were like a guy that enjoyed being there or that were fully relaxed, there were there were always a few hammerheads getting hat drunk and all that. And believe me, I'm no stranger to a vodka tonic, but. I'd keep my, I kept my wits about me. You know what they'd say about people there when you went as a contractor? You would become one of three things, a hunk, a drunk, or a chunk, you know? And uh, what what they would say, you you would become a hunk because like, uh, shit, I, I was working out twice a day because there's nothing really else to do. Or you become a chunk because I saw some guys, all they do is just eat all day. They sit in their cubicle there and their little hole in the wall watching porn or something and just eating you know and um you know hunk a chunk or a drunk you know and uh so and some people sadly did i met a few that they they would just get drunk i'm thinking dude if we need to like mobilize and get get your shit together here you're 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 you're, i'm gonna probably throw you out first let you become fodder hey interesting question Uh, the time you know joe pierzante Yes. Was did he, I, I? I can't. I don't know exactly when you were there, but did did his incident overlap where he got shot? Was that when you were in Afghanistan? Um, it if might have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. What year was that exactly? Again, I hate to say that happened to him. I'm looking to now. Yeah, Steve's uh, pulling that up. We're trying to figure out when that was. But um, yeah. as he does that, just I mean, but so 
it's kind of you're right. We call them the Beltway Bandits around here. The old joke we used to have is they'd have generals retire from the Pentagon or these other places and admirals, and on a Friday and Monday morning they'd be working somewhere else. But they're always late on their first day of work because they're waiting for their driver to show up. And it's like, man, you're in the <laughs> private sector. <laughs> there is uh, no driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because uh, you know the Italians were a little bit. They they did it right. Like if you were an Italian cop or any of these guys, and if you were like a even like an ASAC, Steve. They had drivers, you know, and they didn't believe that we were who we were and that we would just drive ourselves around, you know. You know, the, I'll let you, I'll, I'll leave you with this one saying that I've quoted it many times. One of my Italian counterparts early on, um, I would, I said to him, listen, these kind of defendants that you're getting here a lot, are, are they likely to, the co- to cooperate? How, how is it? Is it easy? Are they rough, tough guys? He goes, and I'll say it in Italian, and then I'll tell you what he goes. Bisogna metterle uno schiaffo per farlo parlare, poi dieci schiaffi per farle stare zitto. And basically he says, are you kidding? You need to slap him once to get him to start talking, and then you got to slap him ten times to get him to shut, shut up. up. <laughs> you know? And he would say, and I remember just falling out of my chair laughing, the belly aching, the way this Italian guy said it. So since he goes... You slap him once to get him to talk, and then ten times to get him to shut up. Scaffold. Oh man, no, cops! That's what I'm telling you. When I finish this thing, I do in my life. It's all these guys like you that I've met, man, that have made this worthwhile. My family and all that is great, and uh, and I'm blessed. Um, and I, uh, but I tell you, having uh, met the people that I've met is what made this this whole thing worthwhile. Well, the, so I'm sure you've read Dave Gaddis's book. Yes, yes. We had Dave on. And he he talked about you, and I was just looking here in the back of the book, <laughs> and the very oh, first, the very oh, no. note says Alex Dominguez wrote a book about some of his DEA stories. Did you write a book? I, I wrote more of I call it more of like a collection of short stories of 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 things. Yeah, I got about published? eight. Is it published? No, no, it's not published. I could, but I haven't. I give it to friends and family and, and whatnot. So that's uh, the chapter two that you sent me about Miami Vice. That that was one. Yeah, that was oh, one. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I talk about a few different things. So I yeah. found the date real quick for Joe Pierce was October 30th, 31, 2011. Yes, yes, I was there. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. October, yeah. you know what? Because earlier in that mm-hmm, year, I'd mm-hmm, gone over to mm-hmm. Afghanistan for a couple of weeks on a TDY. Really? Yeah, um, and I was going to mention that I don't know if you ever ate at the DEA compound, but they had a retired yeah. Army cook there that was just an yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, cook. no, the food was good at the DEA uh, compound. It was, oh, it was fantastic. And camp, we, I forget the name now. Camp. Uh, is, is camp get the hell out of there as quick as you can? Yeah, can't, hey, yeah, that's first. about right. That's yeah. about right. That's well, hey, about right. Let, let's bring this to a close by asking, what are you doing now? I mean, you did that contracting stuff. Are you just enjoying life now? Are you retired? Are you still doing the Beltway Bandit or doing some contracting stuff? What are you doing? Um, I, yeah, what I do now is, is uh, interestingly enough, I help Dave Gaddis out uh, once in a while. He's got his uh, consulting uh, uh, firm that he still does some work. Um, my last, um, you know, real sort of official full-time thing ended right right about uh, kind of like halfway through the pandemic, I was actually working for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, assigned that SOD, being their rep. They didn't have enough folks yet, so I did that. But no, I'm, 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 I, I don't like to say I'm fully retired because my wife doesn't want me to, but I'm, I'm getting close, man. I, I, I need to get a fishing rod. I need to improve my golf game. Do you play golf, guys? 
I was going to say, I played one time. I scored higher than everybody else. They told me I lost. That's yeah. bullshit. That's, <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> but that's true. Like that's that. actually yeah, a true yeah. story. Well, but if you don't golf, at least hope you fish. Yeah. Well, I hit the I, WNOD trail on my bike a lot. I'll go out towards Percival up to Lubbockville nice, and stuff. Nice, and, or go nice. hit the winery or a brewery. So yeah, I'm not above go. that. Yeah. There you go. Now, there you uh, go. One thing Alex is not telling you, didn't you experiment with another? Uh, no, nah, I know you did because we were at McManaman's house and we talked about this. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He experimented with another career. You got to tell us about. Yeah, yeah. I uh, porn I, star was it after yeah, watching all the porn? No, you know, well, I wouldn't no, bring that no, up. Not, no, no, not not that one yet. But um, um, I, I decided I I wanted to try to do stand up comedy more more than anything as a challenge, you know. And uh, and let me tell you, we've we've done a lot of scary things, and uh, you have no idea to go out there on a stage. And there's, you know, sometimes it's only 40, 50 people. It ain't like there's a hundred, you know, 92,000, but still 50, 60, a hundred people. And if you don't say something funny and it's dead silence, man, I I've seen it happen a couple of times and, or the pushed laugh. So I did it. I did it. And, uh, I, I found it harder than it is. You know what the tr the, the secret sauce is, believe it or not for that stuff, guys, is even the pros, the famous ones, they write. Like Every no day. tomorrow, yeah. they write all that stuff you see on those Netflix hours long specials. That's not riffing. They write pieces of it and they write it again and they practice and they go out and they do they do their own little stand up open mic stuff. In or they test people. it out, yeah. And and by the way, if you are a hardcore comedian, the pros, you can only do one about one a year. That's how hard it is. So these guys are incredible. So I, I I could do basically five, six, seven minutes, uh, but I wrote my material. And and you know, look, I I, I the material is it's funny. The, a lot of these guys, you write it. Like when I said it, it was funny. But you know, one of the things I make some jokes about about um, uh, you know being a Hispanic, and I say I am married to a Hispanic woman. She is very hot, muy caliente. In fact, my yeah, muy caliente. In fact, my wife treats me just like a stripper. How you ask? Because just like a stripper, I have spent considerable sums of money on both, knowing in advance that neither will be having sex with me. <laughs> uh, and, uh, now, you just write that, and, and, and how you deliver it and how you package it before or after. See, so if you at least laugh with just, you know, so you do that again and again. And if it sounds a little funny, you try, you try, but it's hard, bro. It's hard. It's, it's time. Hard. I'll tell you, we heard Jerry, when I was at a company called Cisco, you know, they actually brought Jerry Seinfeld in and they, and I watched a couple of his interviews and they were saying, well, what's some of his tricks? It's what he did. He writes every day, jokes every day. I mean, it's it, to your point. It's not like, yeah, it's, he's doing something every single day, you know, to work on the craft. I look at guys like Dave Chappelle with his Netflix stuff. I know he got into a lot of controversy, but him, Ricky Gervais, folks like that, they are masters at delivering and bringing you, taking you all around and then bringing it back home. You know, at the very end, it's like, it's not, it's like a collection of jokes, but these jokes are stories. Some of them kind of serious, but they all make a point. And then at the end of the day, at the end of the special or the end of that, their, their uh, show, they bring it together with that final story that just makes everything make sense. I mean, so it's, it's really an art. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I got to tell you, Alex is one of the, when, especially when we were at SOD together, he's one of the funnest people I've ever talked to. That's <laughs> oh, what I, I you're thought too you kind. would be a huge a, success. No, no, I did that more for fun, you know, and, 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 and my, my, my last one, 
kind of when I was doing that that whole thing. And it took me, believe it or not, weeks to kind of finish it. And 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 I'm talking about you know having been an immigrant with my parents, and I and I say to to the people that my mother. Uh, when she comes to the United States, gets afflicted with this very common uh, medical condition that affects a lot of American women. She develops an iron deficiency. And she just basically woke up one day and told my father, Oye, cabrón, I'm not going to iron your shirts anymore. Not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. Yeah. And so my okay, dad said, cabrón, no, more, so, no more. So my dad said, My goddamn, my, 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 my wife developed an iron deficiency. Yeah. When, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so has, it's, has it sounds like heard that joke. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My wife laugh? had to hear the, that joke when she's sitting there in front of a bunch of people. People are like, "Who's the who's the stripper lady that doesn't have sex with them?" I oh, see a follow up episode in our future, <laughs> the Alex English <laughs> Comedy Hour. Oh, you know? No, 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 no. You guys are too kind. You guys no, are too kind. Good uh, stuff. Good stuff. Well, man. Well, first of all, this is me saluting you. First of all, great backstory. The way you overcame a lot of stuff. It wasn't. It was not easy. You know, coming out of Cuba during that time, doing what you did. You went to the University of Miami. That I'm going to just give you a mulligan on. I'll give you a pass on. But, uh, okay. no, but, hey, but you know, here, here's a kid, just put it in perspective, Takes quits a $38,000 a year job to go take a $17,000 a year job to serve our great country. So this is me saluting you, pal. Thank hey. you. Thank you, guys. Same to you. Back to you. I knew this was going to be a good interview. I knew it was going to be funny. Um, I've learned things about you, Alex, that I didn't know. And we've been friends a long time. We'll be friends. Well, thank you for having me. And and God bless you guys, man. God bless you and your families. All right. Uh, Thank you, brother. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. You hold on for just a second. Everyone else, stay tuned for the debrief. You know, he should have just gone into stand-up comedy while he was at DEA and kind of been like Todd McComas and just, hey, take my wife, please. Oh, I would tell you what. And, and you know what he did? Well, you heard him talk about it. He tried the stand-up comedy, and he was a natural. But then he realized how much work it was. And I didn't know it was that much work for comedians. Uh, maybe we should have been introduced to Todd McComas, who is a stand-up comedian now after being a police officer. But um, Alex just has no, He was a trooper, Murph. He was a trooper. I know, and he finally got out of and got a real job. So good job, Todd. <laughs> hey, all my trooper buddies, I, you know, if you want to write my, t- my my wife a ticket, okay, but please be uh, nice to me. I'll, t- I'll change your tires for you. How about that? <laughs> but uh, I just, I, I, you know, when, when, bring, when you bring on an old friend here like Alex, it's just, it's like old home week. And I and, uh, can't say thank you enough, Alex, for taking the time to, to, uh, to give us an interview, put up with our junk here. Um, just... Wish you all the best in retirement, brother. I know you got a lot going on in your life. Well, and he still got the jokes too. And <laughs> wait, if you heard the last part of it, you'll heard him try out some of his material. Like I said, he should have just done it. He just should have gone yeah. up and been himself. But you know what, Murph? Though that's what this is about. You gotta if you can get out of this job and this kind of career with your sense of humor intact, that's exactly. a win. Exactly. And you want somebody like that. That's that's what helps you get through these type of jobs. Yes, it does. Well, guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode. That is episode 99. What are we going to do for episode 100? Even we don't know yet, but we're going to find out. So, hey, go over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. It's magic. We don't know how it works. It's David Copperfield, David Blaine, all of that good stuff. We know it just works. Also, head on over to GameofCrimesPodcast.com. 
for more info about the show and our book list. That's one of our popular features. We list all of the books that our guests have written. Uh, also, follow us on that thing they call social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Uh, you can also go to Game of Crimes Fans. Search for that. Sandy Salvato, our mafia queen, runs that with a velvet fist. Uh, just to answer a couple questions. Get admittance into the inner sanctum and hilarity will ensue, but where you got to be, where you also got to be is Patreon, patreon.com, right? Murph slash game of crimes. Now don't, don't put patreon.com, right? Murph slash game of crimes. It's patreon.com slash game of crimes. Damn. I was right, writing Murph? that down too. I was writing <laughs> yeah. that down. I thought I had it wrong. Hey, I had to write nine one one and stick it up, put a sticky note on your desk when I was down there visiting you, <laughs> but that's where you got to be guys. We got, we got some episodes. we got some good stuff coming out again. We do nine one one. What's your emergency? You can't make this shit up. Uh, we do the narcometer. We do Q and a, one of our favorite things uh, we do uh, uh, for our Warden of the Throne. We have an exclusive video just for them. So we've got lots of good stuff for you folks. But we want to thank you guys. And we'll, we'll see. We're, we're going to try and do something special for Episode 100. But we're only at 100 because of you. And we want to sincerely thank all of you for your support, for helping us out, and for helping us once again playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous, and stand-up friendly game of all, the Funny Game of Crimes. 